0: afternoon you are listening to Radio Maria England and we have Credo for you. This is our catechetical programme and we have uh, joining us again our weekly speaker Edward Haddas, who is a research fellow at Blackfriars Oxford and has been taking us through some Catholic anthropology. Last week it was New Year's resolutions and today it is declining birth rates. So quite a different uh, topic. (laughs)
1: How are Uh, you Edward?
2: I'm doing very well, thank you. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm going to talk about this. It may take a few weeks to get through all this because there's so much that I want to say. Um, And it's maybe seem a little bit political, and I, I try in these in these series of talks not to really talk about politics, but in this case, public policies are going to come up. But the real issue to me here is in fact um, a Catholic issue, which is the issue of how should we live um, in a time when birth rates are declining very sharply around the world? How should Catholics respond to this? And I happen to know that your mother, Anna, has, or your parents have responded with a particular <laughs> fervor. Um, yes, I have I that-
0: have six children, uh, not six children, goodness. I have six siblings for uh, people who haven't listened to previous episodes.
2: So you, you have one of seven, and so this makes you extraordinarily uh, a, a rare breed mm-hmm. of. of- uh, in this country, particularly, of, of Catholics. I I knew a woman, an American woman, who was visiting here for, well, so actually, she hoped she'd stay, but they couldn't find housing that was large enough for her ever-expanding family. And apparently, the uh, uh, doctor that I knew said that they were famous around the whole NHS system in, in <laughs> Oxford because there were so few people and so had that many children, and particularly middle-class white people. So probably she shouldn't have told me about the doctor that that they gossip about this large family. But that's where we are. Mm -hmm. So what I want to start about is thinking about how we think about families in the modern world, um, how we think about how many children people have, um, because we didn't used to. Um, There were counting of censuses and thinking about how many pop, what the population of a group is. We have one, of course, in, in the New Testament that Caesar Augustus had a census. The word itself is Roman. But the point of that kind of count was always to collect taxes or to find out how many soldiers you had. Um, often, you didn't count the children at all. Um, we have this rather peculiar account of the, um, the sl- massacre of the innocent. And it says in in the book of Matthew, children born within the few years, suggests Mm -hmm. a very cavalier attitude, (laughs) careless attitude to when people are born um, and how many children there might be, just wasn't really a big measure. Um, And then this changes, and we start to think about how many people there are um, and how many young, how old they are and so forth. And this starts maybe 200 years ago, 300 at the most. Um, and it's it's a kind of way of thinking that if we count things and measure them in various dimensions, we become somehow um, um, more knowledgeable in, in a way that's important. Um, and it's really, and there's something almost unchristian about looking at the world that way. Um, Christians can certainly benefit from it and, and do. And there are Christian ways of using the statistical imagination that we have in the modern world. But I, I do want to start by a kind of caution here that um, when we, we start worrying about how many children the average woman has, as we're about to do, um, there's something a little bit dehumanizing because each person um, has her own or his own life that has its own drama. And to aggregate them all together and say, well, uh, that's 2.1 children mm-hmm. on average, this somehow takes away something of the of of the holiness, of the sanctity of of each person's life, each individual um, in in his or her relationship with God. So, uh, So in a sense, I wish I didn't have to talk about this because it would be nicer in some ways if we didn't have this statistical way of thinking about this question. But I do because I think it is a way of getting insight into why uh, we are where we are in terms of Christian mm-hmm. life following a way of thinking about having children that leads to very small families and particularly to um, a very low uh, fertility rate. That is the number mm. of children that each of um, each, uh, the average woman, that average construction that I was just complaining about how many she has. Um, and- because,
0: well, these things are influenced by trends. It's be, Everyone is an individual, but also I think there are, you can legitimately say there are, is a problem with, for example, um, a lot of women being involuntarily childless. That wasn't a problem um, necessarily.
2: Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And and I'm going to come back to that in, mm-hmm. in several points here, but that's it's a good time to bring it up at the beginning is that one of the things that statistics does capture is trends. And, and we need to think about trends or we need to think about group identities or group ways of thinking, because while we are individuals and we think for ourselves, we often um end up thinking very much like other people. I was once trying Mm. to evangelize a recalcitrant (laughs) 18-year-old who was uh, very very well educated in her secondary school and she was very proud of her independent thinking and I said you've gotten all your ideas from The Guardian Um, and she was extremely insulted by this and I said but everything you say you could have read in The Guardian Um, and this rather put her back because it had never occurred to her that all of her free thinking had ended up exactly where all of her peers had ended up, who were guardian readers. So um, we are very much under the influence of our society, and when it comes to something like how many children we have, um, that turns out to be, although obviously a very personal and intimate decision or reality, it's often not a decision at all. It's also something where we can look at it statistically and perhaps I think we will gain some some insight into it. Um, So um, I'm gonna start by actually giving giving a little bit of of statistical background, some numbers that will give us a sense of what's going on. But I will even before that, I guess this is the third part of the starting. uh, Mm -hmm. I'm gonna talk about um, this, this idea, just remember remember that when Adam and Eve are kicked out of uh, the Garden of Eden, um, and it seems that at that point they start to, um, uh, that's when Adam names Eve and that's the, the and he says that she will be the mother of all living. Uh, Eve itself is, is uh, in Hebrew, is just the word for life, basically. Um, and so, um, that, that, that seems to be, at least in the, the Bible writer's mind, and certainly in St. Augustine's mind, and really I think in Jesus' um, understanding when he talks in, in the Gospel of Matthew about how there is no marrying in heaven, that somehow our marriage, our reproduction, um, our death, and then the birth that we have, the reproduction that compensates, as it were, for death, is somehow partly are reshaped if if not created as part of our fallen condition but what the lord says is that we should what god says in in there is that we should um, be fruitful and multiply that's our command and um and so it's worth thinking and, and up to very very recently say 50 or years ago in, in much of the world I'll talk about the the history of low birth rates a little later. It was just taken for granted that what people wanted to do was be fruitful and multiply. And um, we've kind of stopped multiplying. Now we're in the division mode um, outside of Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, We we are having very few children. The way we think about it is um, that you need to have two parents, two children on average. Some children will die. Um, Some children will, in any culture, um, not get married for whatever reason or they'll be uh, infertile in one way or another. So to keep the next generation of parents the same size as this generation, the average woman, we now say, should have 2.1 children. That's really a minimum um,
3: Mm
2: -hmm. because you could easily have more disasters, and then you would, as it were, need more children to keep the population steady. Um, So if you don't like the idea of having one tenth of a child, (laughs) which most of us find a little bit off putting, you know, which do we do divide him vertically or horizontally, um, and and you know sort of the tip of the head. You know you see those little <laughs> graphics with little you know cars or something, and here's half a car, but you don't really like the idea of half a child. So think of it as if you have a hundred women, um, there would be twenty one children or twenty two children in in that um, in in that group of of women, um, and
0: surely two hundred and ten.
2: Well, yeah, twenty two children per yeah, yeah 220 sorry for uh, children sorry. <laughs> yes quite right if for you 100%. only had 20 that would be very alarming 220 200 and um, 200 and uh, uh, 210 220 something like that you would expect thank you and i was the one who studied <laughs> maths and you know here i am getting corrected on something pretty obvious okay um and so how many are we actually having um I'm going to have to use a 2.1-type number because I'm obviously incapable of multiplying by 100. Um, and uh, well, we're having fewer than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a little hard. This this trend started in Europe. Um, in Germany, it has now been 52 straight years that the population um, has declined if you take out the fact that people are moving into the country from somewhere else. So, for 52 years, the number of births in Germany has been fewer than the number of deaths. Wow. That's a long time for that to happen. We've never really seen that anywhere else in the world, um, well, given one exception. Yeah. Um, in peacetime, in prosperity, uh um, anywhere else uh, ever. Um, the only time you ever have that kind of decline is tends to be when you have terrible chaos, a plague or a war um, and, and people just literally have trouble having children because it's so chaotic. Um, but the effect of this has been a little bit hidden, not so much in Germany where that was very early into this, but in uh, In much of Europe and in the United States because there was this baby boom that you may have heard of right after the Second World War particularly in the United States family sizes started to increase um, and uh, and well that they were born in the 50s and 60s and then those large family large numbers of children became adults and those adults have much far fewer children but the effect on the total population takes a while to work through Mm -hmm. when you have this bumper crop of children um, even in the 1950s Um, but by now it is working through and that's even with um, fairly much longer lives the total populations um, excluding migration are now falling in pretty much every rich country, all the so-called developed economies. Now, we do have um, a lot of migration into those countries. Um, It's a political issue in this country and in various parts of Europe. Um, And this is the sort of wages of success. um, These people want to live in Europe because it's peaceful and prosperous and there's big welfare states that people enjoy. And so uh, people from Africa or Central Asia, um, various different places um, would, would be very happy to come to, to many parts of Europe if they were allowed and to some extent they are allowed and to some extent one of the reasons they're allowed is that you have enterprises that would struggle to find workers because the number of workers is declining. A country like Japan, which has very little migration, um, it's increased but it's still tiny by the proportions of, of Europe, um, they are now facing each year, three or four percent fewer people come of age and enter the workforce, which may not sound like a lot. But if you're running a factory and you have to shut mm-hmm. lose three percent of your workers every year because they're just not enough Japanese people, it's quite a struggle. And you can see why they are much they say, oh, why don't we bring some people in from Vietnam? We can keep the factory grow, growing growing. Um, so there are various parts about that. Um, at some point on this, this program, I hope to talk about how Catholics and the Catholic world of thinking about communities should think about migration. Um, it's a big topic in Catholic social teaching and a very controversial one. But mm-hmm. today is not the day for that. So um,
0: can you just clarify yes. why this is, a, this is a problem? Because I feel like people are much more familiar with the idea that, oh, overpopulation, the world can't sustain the population growth. Of humanity in general, and it's only more recently that I've st- started hearing people talking about the problem of declining birth rates. Um, why why is that a problem for society?
2: Okay, that's a great question. Um, and uh, let me skip ahead a little because that's that's a question I'm going to come to, but I can I can push that backwards here a little okay. bit um, because it's it's the place where it's most likely to be a problem at this point is in in, in rich countries. Um, so is it a problem? Um, well, first thing to say is when people were worrying about overpopulation, uh, among the people worrying about it was Pope Paul VI, and he coined the idea of responsible parenthood in, in uh, um, popularum Progressio, as one of his social encyclicals. Uh, and one of the things he had in mind was that we shouldn't, as it were, overpopulate the world. Um, but he also believed very very strongly that we should not restrict people from having children he just thought people could be more responsible in their own minds about what might be available for them mm-hmm. um, as it turns out um, the population has increased but we've also been able to feed it and educate it better this growing population of the world so the threat of overpopulation um, has never was never Realized. I mean, whether it could be some other alternate world that could have been the kind of overpopulation that people were worrying about in the 1960s, I can't say. But in any case, we never had anything like a serious problem with too many people to feed. Mm -hmm. Um, So why would it be a problem um, is a great question. And it really depends on what you want. So if you think back to 1900, the population of the world is roughly a third of what it is now. No one said, oh, we're underpopulated then. So maybe there's no problem at all. Maybe this is just the way things are. And in practice, there really isn't a problem. Um, you sometimes, maybe not in the newspapers you read, but if you read the Financial Times, you'll have a routine article every three three or four weeks about how the pension systems can't deal with the um, overprodu- declining population and the economies won't work right and so forth. But that's actually not true. I very feel very strongly about this, um, that we have very productive, very flexible economies Um, although those Japanese employers I was mentioning might struggle a bit, um, we can deal with declining populations very, very competently. There shouldn't be a problem. It involves certain political compromises. We made a decision socially some years ago, 40, 80 years ago really now, um, that we would have the government pay old people So you have to pay through taxes for taking care of old people, whereas parents pay most of the expenses of young people. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't pay all of them because the government provides schools through taxes. But if you have fewer young people and more old people as a proportion of the population, and you're going to have the government, this disproportion where the government pays for the old people, you're going to have to have higher taxes and that's politically difficult but it will have that would be it's not a practical problem it's just a political challenge and it's an interesting choice which I will eventually come back to also to have old people be there um now i think that when when the financial times writers or um, people that are filtering through to uana are start start mm-hmm. complaining we have to worry about it. Not sure point. if I
0: should be offended by the suggestion that I definitely wouldn't read the F- FT.
2: <laughs> okay, well, all right. So you're 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 I recommend the FT warmly. Mm-hmm. It's a very good newspaper. Uh although its coverage of Catholic issues is pretty atrocious, but I, I think they would admit that. It's not their key market. Um but uh um what what I think that they're on to something, which is really the thing that I'm onto, which is how weird this is. And they can't sort of say that. It's not allowed in the modern world to say how strange it is, at least in the modern secular world, how strange it is that people don't want to have children or don't mm-hmm. have children. They say they want to, but they don't. That seems like such a an odd thing to say in the light of human history. And it's it's hard for them to put their fingers on it because they don't have a spiritual vocabulary. They don't have a, a really clear sense of how we should think about children and having children. Um, and so they start referring to the things they do know about, which is the economy and taxes and pensions. And and those are topics they feel very comfortable with. Um, In the old days, people used to worry about not having enough soldiers to get killed in wars or to kill people in wars. And that was the main worry about population. But that's not fashionable either these days um, to say we need more, more, more boys to get killed in wars. So you should have more children. It's just not an advertising pitch that would would go over very well. So they talk about things they're familiar with. But um, that I think is trying to get at something that is an intuition that um is uh, um, that, that there's something wrong with our culture or something to worry about our culture. Because we you know we've always assumed that multiplying, be fruitful and multiply was just a good thing. It's you know, it's in the Psalms, it's it's something that's in Greek literature and Chinese literature. You want to have children, and here we don't. Um and, uh, you know, Jesus tells us to love children. And here we are, sir, not having mm-hmm. children. Um, it's, well, when I was when I was young, when I was first exposed to Catholicism, one of the things that was said is more children, more souls to love and adore God, a good thing. <laughs> and here we are, not there. Um, okay, why don't we play some music and mm-hmm. um, I'll come back and tell some more about the grim story of European and world birth rates.
0: Fun. Uh, this is Grazia Plana by Brother Isaiah.
3: up our sighs, sing hail full of grace, mother of mercy, our life and our home. To thee do we cry, to thee do we send up our sighs, on oh, Mary. Sweetest mother Mary. Yeah. Hail full of grace, mother of mercy, our life and our home cry, to thee do we send up our sighs, sing hail, full of grace, mother of mercy, our life and our hope. To thee do we cry, to thee do we send up our sighs, sing hail, oh hail, spread star of ocean, take my heart, make it yours all. Devotion to your son, our Lord, this day, hallelujah. Let me sing hail, full of grace, mother of mercy, alive in our home, To thee do we cry, to thee do we send up our sighs. Sing hail, full of grace, mother of mercy, alive in our hope. To thee do we cry. To thee do we send up our sight sing hail. All hail, sweet seed of wisdom. Take these hands, teach them to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. And all the souls who wander may find Christ our Lord this day. Hallelujah, you're missing hail, full of grace. Brother of mercy. Life in our home, to thee do we cry, to thee do we send up our sighs, sing hail full of grace, mother of mercy, I life in our home, to thee do we cry, to thee do we send up our sighs, O Mary, sweetest mother.
0: was Grazia Plena by Brother Isaiah and you're listening to Credo live on Radio Maria and we have Edward Hadas talking about declining birth rates and so we've explored a bit what you know what the problem is, um, the fact that we have all these massively declining birth rates in Western countries um, and we left you with the, 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 the conundrum, why do people seem to not want children given historically? They have been seen as such a blessing. Um, what's the answer, Edward?
2: Well, we're going to come to the answer in a little while. Uh, but I want to talk about, because you, what you just said, which was quite right, is I just talked about how the decline was in Europe. And um, for a long time, it was something that Americans looked down on Europe for, that they had a sort of dull culture where people didn't even want to have children. But we Americans, they would say, Um, We understand about these things. We're more religious people, and we're very much better at this. Um, That boast has become hollow. And in fact, as it turns out, um, small families or low birth rates, low fertility rates, um, turn out to be global. Um, And this is something we've seen in many different parts of the culture So um, there's, you know, K-pop, Korean pop music wandered around the world, um, and that was only the latest generation, Harry Potter, um, mobile phones, various different elements of the way we do things or think about things. And as it turns out, the kind of thinking, whatever it is, that leads to small families is also a globalized phenomenon. So um what started as what seemed to be rather peculiar um, a development in quite rich countries um, europe and then also japan um, has now become something that we see in all countries as i say except for um sub-saharan africa but even there birth rates are declining quite sharply um and There was one factor at the beginning that people were very struck by, which is that the infant mortality rate has also declined. And so um, if you have far fewer children die, um, then you don't need to have as many children to have a fruitful family Mm -hmm. because most of them, virtually all of them, will almost always live to adulthood. So um, there's a very fascinating, if you like graphs, it's a fascinating graph that shows while the birth rate has declined in the United States quite steadily, the number of adult children that people had did not move very much from not about 1880 to 19, well, to after the Second World War, oh, wow. where it suddenly increased quite significantly. That was the baby boom. So that was one factor, but then it, it, and I must say, this is a this is an area of the demographics that I'm talking about, where the experts have been wrong steadily. Um, so they've always predicted a return to higher birth rates for generations. And now um, they're now predicting no return to higher birth rates, which if anything could give you hope that we'll start to have more children. <laughs> it's the confidence with which dem- demographers predict that we will not have more children. <laughs> Um, predictions are very difficult. You should feel sorry for them, but they've certainly not really understood what the motivations are. I'll talk about why that's probably true, why I think that's true. Well, we may not get to it today. In any case, um, <clears throat> there for the moment, there seems to be no end to this decline. And what's really striking t- is how widespread it is. Um, so the U.S. Um, has now started its decline, um, and um, it now, if you look at it more carefully, as we do, because that's how we do statistics, it's pretty clear that the only reason it was behind uh, the, the rest of Europe or other developed countries was not because of some peculiarity of the nation, other than the peculiarity of having a lot more immigrants. And immigrants that came from countries with high birth rates, um, and in this case it was Mexico, mostly Hispanic migrants, would have large families. But one of the phenomena that we see, um, and this has been true in most all of Europe really, um, and in the United States, is within a generation or two, migrants adopt the birth practices, the family practices to a large extent of the country they're joining. So they, they tend to assimilate, at least in this respect, um, and have fewer children. Um, I mean, they're not migrants anymore. They're mm-hmm. the second or third generation Americans or English or French or whatever. But they then start to have the same type of family structures that the, of the people whose country their grandparents or great-grandparents have joined. So remember 2.1 is your magic number for keeping the population flat. Um, The US is now at 1.7, the UK is at 1.6, Germany 1.5, France is the highest in Europe right now at Mm -hmm. 1.8. Poland, which is supposedly the most Catholic country in Europe, um, is at 1.4. Um, so you know, Catholicism, at least in a kind of, uh, I get you know, the highest mass attendance in in, in Europe, has basically uh, no change in this. If anything, it's you know lower. Other things seem to be more important. Um, but what's really re- quite remarkable is countries that are much poorer also have very, very low birth rates. Um, I keep saying birth rates, but the technical term is fertility rates. Birth rates is a slightly different measure. So the fertility rate in China is 1.1. So effectively, the next generation in China is a roughly half the size that you needed to be to keep the population stable. Mm -hmm. It'll take a while for that to work its way from 1.4 billion Chinese that we have now, Um, but in another, if you keep up at this birth rate for another 30 or 40 years, it will be in fact um, something close to 700 million people. Still a lot of Chinese. But it's a really striking decline to think that you're going to lose almost half your population over the course of a couple of generations. Just so it's not, maybe yeah, a, oh, a
0: little bit of an aside, but is that primarily because of the one-child policy? Are there other well, countries you, with similar economic backgrounds that so, don't? So know?
2: let's take let's take Chile, um, which has never had any one-child policy. One point two, Japan. Um is oh I didn't write it down here, but it's around one point. What happened to my Japan number? Oh well. Um it's it's down there also. Um, um Thailand, 1.0. Oh. Um so I don't think so. Um South Korea now probably has the lowest birth rate in the world um as as a country. It's 0. 0.8. 0. 0.8. So yeah. um the the Chinese one child policy was absolutely horrible. You know, forced abortions and and um, incredible sort of hardship on on the children, and you know, we suspicions of, of pretty widespread infanticide, so that C- Communist Party cadres could meet their one child goals. Um, but it was totally unnecessary, as it turns out, because people would have had so much fewer children anyway. Um, as I mean, just judging from the the other places um, where where we have this, uh, where where they didn't have any um, efforts to reduce the number of children, or only very sort of mild efforts, Korea's been had an effort now for the last South Korea for the last twenty years to increase the uh, birth rate. Um, I read a fascinating article of a man had started his career trying to discourage people from having children and then had moved on to trying to, to encourage people <laughs> to want to have girls. And he was follow, finishing his career trying to encourage people to have babies. Um, yeah. And uh, the the first two had actually, as it were, worked very well although how much it was propaganda and how much was just some other sort of... Social trends um, and now women, girl children in Korea seem to be pretty highly valued, at least relative to where they used to be. But the publicity to try and get more children has done nothing. I mean, it continues to fall at a most dramatic rate. But it's interesting because it was all often assumed that this was all a matter of, of prosperity. But when you have a countries that are really not that rich, middle-income countries, Chile, Brazil, Turkey, um, and then they're all at 1. 1.5, 1. 1.6 type rates. Um, Shanghai is apparently at 0. 0.7. Um, you realize yeah. that there's something that's in the air, as it were, in the water, um, that is much more powerful than um, than merely I'm rich in some way, and that somehow makes me um, not want to have children. And even a country like Bangladesh, which has become much richer, but it's almost at um, stability rate. is at two point three and falling. Egypt. Um, the, in 2015, which isn't, isn't even a decade ago, the calculated fertility rate was 3.7. It's now 2.5. So within eight years, the the number of women stop not having children who you would have expected to, the number of women stopping having children who you would have expected to continue to have more um, in Egypt is... Uh, has quite dramatically increased in both of those variables. Egypt's a Muslim country, quite quite practicing Muslim. The government has been opposed, you know, has been trying to reduce population growth, but it's quite ineffective government. So it's it's not you know some huge publicity campaign or anything like that. Just well, what is it? Is the question that I'm going to um, going to talk about? Before I say that, it's probably worth thinking about um, exceptions. Mm -hmm. So uh, the main exception we have at a nationwide basis is Israel. Um, Israel had one of the lowest birth rates in Europe. Um, There reformed Jews, that is to say, the liberal Jews who are not practicing, who make up the majority, of or did make up the overwhelming majority of the population of Israel um, have very few children. They were pioneers in low birth rates, um, and but there is a, there was a very small ultra-orthodox community, which believes in large families, and they have large families, and they've been going at it for three generations. Um, I think the average ratio of ch- children in those those families is six or seven. And um, so now Israel has the highest birth rate. Well, it's not in Europe, but of of pretty much any sort of developed economy, 2.7. So its population is growing. And much to the distress of the liberal Jews who don't really like the ultra-Orthodox and their politics, they're being outnumbered gradually um, by this growth of, of this population. Um, so, we can think about ultra Orthodox religious Jews as a group that has not caught this trend. Another group that has not caught this trend is um, the US Amish or Amish communities, um, where they're sort of famous because they don't take ride cars or use mobile phones. Um, and they also have a lot of babies. Um, the average is somewhere around eight eight to ten so if you and were to go off to the Amish country with your family mm-hmm. first of all they wouldn't let you in because they don't let people convert but if they were <laughs> to you know admire you for a bit they would say what a small family you have your mother's just hardly been working at it at all uh, <laughs> slightly below average really um, so that's possible. There's also a Finnish Lutheran sort of community that has that kind of number of children, and there are enough of those Finns to actually make Finland have a significantly higher birth rate than its neighbor country Sweden, which is um, is uh, surprising because the, the two countries have quite similar cultures in many ways. But these groups that have a lot of children can now um, have influence on the nationwide groups, mm-hmm. so there is a. It's not universal, but it is takes something to resist this trend, and it's, it's one of the things I I want want to think about. But you asked before about the one-child policy, and it's it's pretty typical to, for people to think that that was a really crucial factor. Um, And it's there's probably something to the idea that the massive publicity campaigns in the 1960s and 70s, particularly in poor countries, to encourage um, family planning to pass out birth control devices um, to in the case of India, um, forced sterilization of both men and women. Um, or highly incentivized sterilization, some semi-voluntary at best. But what you see is that even places that have no campaigns, no publicity, no pressure, um, this new way of thinking about whatever it is that they're thinking about that ends up at the end of a woman's fertile period with fewer children, um, it's a global a global phenomenon um, and it doesn't seem to have a lot to do with the kind of external pressure. Um, and from a sort of Catholic aside about that, it makes the one child policy even more awful because mm-hmm. um, he, you know there's this very good book by Stephen Mosher about how, how terrible it was. and the, the people that would defend it would give you a sort of utilitarian, Answer that. Well, we have to do that because there's such a threat from overpopulation. Chairman Mao had originally thought that everyone should have more Chinese were better Chinese, and he'd encouraged large families. And then he panicked as as the uh, in the 1960s as the publicity started to come for for how dangerous overpopulation was, and um, and so he he switched gears to this one-child policy. And um, and it was terribly cruel, and it was completely unnecessary. So the utilitarian argument that we had to force abortions and, and pressure people um, really looks very weak. I mean, we, we can't tell what would have happened had they not done that. But to judge from re- reasonably similar countries, um, you, you you have to think this, that it, it was... Um, it, it was a you know, totally unnecessary cruelty by even the most utilitarian standards. Um some, some people do say that, that the Chinese, Korean, Japanese treatment of women reduces more the uh the, the birth, the fertility rate, because what's the point of being an oppressed woman? We'll come back to that. Um but again, it might have some effect, but uh, be, you know these are particularly low birth rates, but um, I, I don't think most people would say Polish women are particularly mm-hmm. oppressed, but they also have very low birth rates, or Italian women, you have to be really um, not paying much attention to think that Italian women are hugely oppressed these days, and they also have very, very few children. So this the thing that's going on is very deep in the culture, and that that's something that I think we as Catholics uh, or Christians even, should really think about because um, we are in this culture and this thing that's causing people not to have children um, that seems at least, and I think it is, against the way that we're instructed of to see fertility as a great gift, um this thing is very deep inside us it's part of this global western culture that um that seems incredibly attractive or compelling in some way Um, even when people don't like this particular result it's it's very hard to resist that and the groups that have resisted it are very closed and very dedicated um and so we as, as catholics i think should well, possibly learn from them, and I'm going to come back to all of this in a bit. But, but, um, but, but at least to study and think, mm-hmm. take this problem quite seriously. So I think maybe it's time for another little piece of music, and then we'll um, have. Mm-hmm. I have more to say.
0: This is "Come Alive, Dry Bones" by Lauren Daigle.
1: we have lost as we look down the road God, now...
0: Was Come Alive Dry Bones by Lauren Daigle. And you are listening to Credo on Radio Maria with Edward Haddas. And we've been talking about declining birth rates and whether it's a a spiritual problem, I guess. I'll hand back over to you.
2: Right. And it is a spiritual problem, um, I think. So indeed, you know, I'm going to talk about how I see it probably next week. But um, I, I think that Uh, just to give you a little preview to encourage everyone to keep listening, um, that that I think this has to do with the modern loneliness, alienation, a sense of not having a place in the world. But it's worth probably thinking about the other explanations that people give, because as, as I was mentioning before, if you're writing for the Financial Times to say, well, people are alienated, Your editor will say, that's not really something we say in this newspaper very often. Um, We need some numbers. We need something that's more down to earth. Um, And um, that's probably part of the problem is that people don't actually want to talk very much in a kind of public discourse about spiritual matters, about loneliness or alienation or what we mean by reproduction. Um, So it's probably worth going through some of the explanations that people do give and see how we as as Christians or Catholics um, can respond to them and to understand, again, how deep in the culture this is. So the first thing, uh, the first sort of alternative to my spiritual explanation, which I will come to, um, is technology. Um, It's pretty clear that the the material cause of this decline in most parts of the world is artificial contraception. That is to mm-hmm. say, you know, people have uh, this is the the, the the construction of art of development of artificial contraception um, allows you to separate out um, sexual pleasure or um, this kindly at best the unitive meaning of sexuality from the procreative, Um, and since at least up to fairly recently, it was assumed that people would like to have sexual relations, physical sexual relations, um, and not have children, this seemed to make sense. It's probably worth noting that in the last 15 or 20 years, there's actually been a pretty well I mean, it's hard to tell because people don't tell the truth about their sexual experiences and why should they it's private but it's it seems likely at least from this polls and surveys that people are actually having less sexual activity themselves so that might also be declining but in any mm-hmm. case it's the material cause the physical thing that we have done as we've developed this contraception um, and so perhaps that's what the problem that's what's going on, and that's certainly the most common explanation that I hear if I talk about it. People say, "Well, of course, it's contraception. But in a sense, contraception is itself an effect. Um, some of the technologies that we've had that are contraceptive, the condom, have been around for a hundred years, hundred and fifty years. If people don't want to have children, um, that's something they could do with technology. But even before there was any contraceptive technology, our first example of a willing decline of births was in France in the 19th century. Um, after the French revolution, uh, after Napoleon, there was a, a, very sharp decline in fertility rates. Um, and this became a political issue because the French, and German populations had been roughly the same at the time of um, Napoleon. Germany wasn't a country yet, but if you looked at sort of the German resources Mm -hmm. in terms of fighting wars, the Prussians, as they were developing, um, they had roughly, there was no manpower advantage in Germany. But by the time the First World War came around, um, Germany was, had almost twice the population of France. So over the course of a century, German prosperity led to um, was correlated with a big increase in population, which is what people would have expected. As you have more wealth, you have more children uh, because you can afford them. That was the old way of thinking. And um, in France, prosperity increased, but the number of children did not. So the population Mm -hmm. stagnated. And that was without any contraception to speak of um, until maybe at the end of the century, artificial contraception. They didn't know about um, uh, the rhythm method or periodic continence. Um, They just used whatever they needed to do to have fewer children. Um, and we have something similar in the more modern period in Japan, which was, as I said, one of the pioneers of low birth rates, um, where the art of the contraception that's most commonly used and most, def- most effective, if you want to use that word, at not getting pregnant, um, is the, the birth control pill, hormonal contraception, was not approved in Japan until about 10 years ago and is still not widely used. Um, so, I think what one can say is that if there's a will not to have children, people will find a way. And if there's a will not to have children, they'll develop the contraception, the technology to help them do that in our technological age. Um, there's very interesting the histories of the uh, of 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 the development of the the pill. um it was sponsored largely by foundations. And by Planned Parenthood, because they wanted a technology that would reduce family size. So, in some ways, technology follows, doesn't lead this cultural change. Um, so that's, that's interesting. You know, I, sorry.
0: That's interesting. You often hear people making the opposite argument, but
2: exactly. Well, this gets back to Hegel, um, the philosopher. Um, I I, I teach Hegel sometimes, and and, uh, one of the things that's most striking in his um, his story of political philosophy, sort of historical approach, is he says that um, bullets were invented, that is to say, shooting people from a distance. Um, because people's idea of what warfare was about changed and they wanted warfare to be more impersonal and not have to actually look at or not want to look at your victim but you were fighting for a cause or for an army and so when that was the became the desire the technology followed um the, the change of historical consciousness and um i will say i've taught this book several times and the students are always really a, it's a thought-provoking idea um, and I think it's a very helpful idea in,
1: mm-hmm. in,
2: in this case where you're dealing with something very intimate and um, where where people had previously thought that the idea of contraception was somehow immoral. Um, Malthus in predicting uh, the decline, uh, predicting mass starvation at the beginning of the 19th century.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: He's, he's, he says, well, you know, maybe they'll find ways to not have children. And and he says this is a vicious idea and that we should never even imagine it. So he would not have been in favor of developing the birth control pill. Um, so I do think that technology is actually um, the, the secret here.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really it's a, very a spiritual case. problem. Yes. Underlying. Yes. Okay.
2: Yes. So the technology is the effect of the spiritual problem. It develops in this way, um, and you know. Um, actually, let's the, 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 this let's say something similar about pornography. So um, we have pornography from um, as as early as we have art, pretty much. Um, we have art that seems to have been designed to be titillating, it's hard to know what people were thinking about things in the fourth century BC or the 10th century BC, but the idea of pornography is is, is with us for a long time um, and that makes sense psychologically that, you know, men are pretty awful beasts and they like this sort of thing. but. When pornography explodes as it has in the last 20 or 30 years, when it's allowed free travel on the internet internet, and no one really tries to stop it, that has to be a cultural comment. And the technology, we say, oh, well, the internet makes it available, but we make a choice to say the internet will make this available. Um, And that is a cultural comment. And so I I tend to feel that, that the technological developments are are much more effects of our spiritual or cultural um, uh, state than mm-hmm. the other way around and and similarly even here and we're talking about the the production of children, the reproduction of the human race um, that has to be again a spiritual statement but We're up to the end of the hour, and Mm -hmm. I am hoping very much to come back next week and talk some more about this, to me, absolutely fascinating topic.
0: Yes. So you've convinced us that there's a spiritual problem underlying this decline of birth rates. And next week we can be left on the edge of our seats wondering what uh, your diagnosis is. But thank you for joining us for Credo. This has been Credo, live on Radio Maria.